Well, good morning. It is uh, good to be here with you. I don't know about you, but some days I feel like you just need uh, worship. And this is one of those days. And so I'm glad to be uh, with all of you. Uh, glad to be on week number three of the series that we are calling uh, The Vow. Uh, last Friday, we had over 18 couples that we know register to go out on a date, and many of them dropped their kids off here at the church. I think we had over like 22 or 25 kids here at the church going crazy on Friday nights as parents rushed off to spend three hours alone or together with groups of friends uh, that they don't typically get. So thanks to all of the, those who helped serve uh, Friday night. We really appreciate that. And um, I, 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 I hope that, I know, you know, we had 18 couples registered, but I hope that many of you took advantage of, of that as we were trying to promote uh, pursuing your spouse uh, last week. I know I heard that um, our, our worship leader after last week's message, which was about pursuit, went out and bought his wife's flowers. So uh, I know some of you are putting this into practice. That's a good thing. That, that's what we want to happen. Uh, I, I want to tell you a story uh, I guess it had been seven years ago now. Uh, I had just met Emily, and we had started to date for a couple months, and we had talked a little bit about marriage, but it was time for her to meet my family. And so uh, what we did is we drove up from Birmingham, Alabama, uh, where I was living at the time and where she was from, and I was taking her to, to meet my mom and dad and my brothers, which is always a scary thing. If you have siblings, you know what I'm talking about. And so we're up for, for the Thanksgiving weekend, spending time with, with my family, and we decided to sit around the table and play some cards. And, and so we're playing cards, and we're playing this game that you can, you can kind of see what people have and what people need. And so there's just there's kind of strategy, like, I'm going to lay this card down, or I'm not going to lay this card down because I know they need this. But at some point in time, like, you've got to lay cards down that are going to benefit other people. And so you just got to figure out, like, how to do that the right way. And then hopefully at the end of the game, um, you come out on top and you win. There is a winner and there are losers in all of this. And I remember playing the game and we're sitting around the table and like I'm getting really close to winning this game and I'm thinking like, okay, I can win this game. And I look over at Emily's deck and I realize like she's got the card I need. And we're getting towards the, as we're, as we're getting kind of towards the end, like I'm trying to like, I'm, I'm wondering like, is she going to play that card or is she going to play another card that'll kind of keep the game going? I will for sure probably lose, but she'll have an opportunity to win or one of my brothers will, which would be even worse. Um, and, and maybe my parents. And so as, as we play, it gets, to Emily, it gets to Emily's turn and she decides to, to lay down the card that I needed. And in my head, I'm thinking, like, I would have never done that because it would, I, it just, you know the game was going to end. So I was thinking, well, maybe she's just being naive and she doesn't know how to play this game. Um, uh, and so she laid the card down. I took it. I won. And I looked at her and I said, why, why, did, you, why did you lay that card down? You know that you, you for sure were going to lose when, when you did that. And I was going to end the game. And she said something to me that, that I will never forget. She said, Josh, we are on the same team. And we will always be on the same team. Uh, so I better marry this girl. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, now there's no way she would lay that card down. Um, <laughs> right? At, at some point in our marriage, though, it kind of gets, gets to be like that. We start out, we want to be on the same team, but things happen, and maybe we even start competing with each other. And I'm not saying it's bad to compete against uh, one another in a card game. It may be bad for your marriage. But, um, so if you know that, just don't do it. Uh, but the truth is there are, there are things that come into our marriage or there are, are uh, uh, attitudes that we can have that will seek to divide us. 
And, and to be honest, like the enemy wants to divide you. Um, God loves marriage and the devil hates it, right? Um, and, and so one of the things that we need to protect ourselves against is actual division in our marriage. And to remember that we are on the same team. Today we're going to talk about the vow of partnership. Uh, and, and so I want to review, if you haven't been here with us, you can kind of review these things and see what we've uh, been looking at. And I'm going to need your help. I want you to read uh, these vows with me. We're going to start with vow number one. This was week one. Here it is. Vow one, I promise, help me out here, I promise God will be my first priority and my spouse will be my second priority. Now here's vow number two. This was last week. I promise always to pursue my two. One more time. I promise to always pursue my two. Now I want to give you vow number three and that's what we're going to be looking at this week. Here's vow number three and if you're taking notes you can write this down if you want. Vow number three. I promise our marriage will be about we and not me. I promise our marriage will be about we and not me. Now, I want to kind of introduce this to you um, by a text uh, that we've been looking at, but uh, we've been looking at the, the text out of Genesis. Um, here we're going to see Jesus quoting what we've been looking at over the past couple weeks and kind of to set this up and give you the context of Matthew 19. Basically, Jesus has some people come to him and he's asking, they're asking Jesus, when is it okay to get a divorce? And here's how Jesus answers them, and he's reminding them of the essence of marriage, and those are some of the things that we're looking at as we go through this service together. And here's what he says in Matthew 19, beginning in verse 4. He says, haven't you read? In other words, he's like, you know, don't you know the scriptures, is what Jesus is telling them. And then, then Jesus replies that at the beginning, the Creator made them male and female. He said... For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife. The two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but they are one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Last week, we looked at a little bit of what united means in the Hebrew, but one commentator put it like this, and I feel like this is a really good image um, that the commentator gives us. He, he says kind of the picture, the word picture that we're given here in this text is that when you get married, you're, you're glued together. Now, I, I don't know about you, but if any of you guys, maybe gals, had done any, like, woodworking? Right, any of you done any woodworking? All right, some of you have. Jerry, raise your hand. Um, so what happens when you, do, when you do woodworking and you glue two pieces of wood together, if you do it the right way, to be honest, that, that glue and that joint is stronger uh, than the other parts of the wood. Not only that, if you if you're, if you're glue the same types of wood together, what happens is you probably don't even know it's two pieces. Like, it, it's one piece. And so to actually, like, separate it, you're never going to pull it apart. You're never going to pull it apart. What you have to do, you have to take a saw to it. Uh, to get it apart or to change it. And, and to be honest, that's kind of the picture that we get here when we look at this and what Je this is what Jesus is, is talking about. And it's one of the reasons that divorce, by the way, is so painful, right? Because, because God brings you together to be one flesh. And so what the Bible describes divorce as is like the tearing of flesh because, because you have come together in this sacred relationship and where you have become one and God has united you as one. So if you've, you're here today like, and you've been divorced, right? My, my goal is not to just put a whole bunch of shame on you or anything like that. To be honest, you, just, you can't change your past. But the truth is that we can change some futures in this room. Um, you know, there are some people here I told uh, you a couple weeks ago that I promised I would speak in to those who uh, are single. So if you're here and you're single or you're dating, like we have something for you here today. Uh, if you're married, right, what I hope to do 
is, is, is to ground you for your future and make sure I'm preparing you for your future and what your marriage is supposed to be about. And so the way we're going to do this, I want to remind you of, of these two things. We're going to start out reminding you of these two things. First is that marriage is a covenant and not a contract. Marriage is a covenant, not a contract. And if you're taking notes, this is kind of how we want to differentiate the two. Um, a contract is based on mutual distrust. A contract is based on mutual distrust. Now, a contract based on mutual distrust is going to kind of do um, one of two things. It's going to protect, it's going to protect me from your wrongdoing. Right? That's one of the things that a contract does. And then also, it's going to guarantee that you're going to provide me with something. And, and so uh, if, if you're thinking about getting married to somebody in the future, uh, and they feel like they've kind of got a lawyer up uh, to marry you, like if there's not a whole lot of trust going into that relationship, you should probably start to hit the brakes a little bit. Because you aren't, you aren't getting into a contractual relationship in this way. Right? But many of us, we're starting to treat our marriages like this. You see, a contractual relationship is all about me. It's, it's I'm going to protect me and mine. Or I'm, I'm going to try to figure out what you can give me if we decide to get united together. And as soon as you stop providing for me, like, I can go. One of the ways, I guess, to illustrate this is I have a rental house, and so I always make my renter sign a contract. Um, I typically don't know the people who rent my house when I first meet them. Um, and so there is some distrust on their end and on mine. But, but we also, there's a promise in that contract that I promise to give them a safe place to live um, with a roof over their head and not to yank that out from underneath them while they promise to help pay for that house, to pay for the place that they live. And so there's kind of mutual benefit there. But we're only committed to each other as far as, as far as we're able to make those things happen. Well, marriage is much different than that. It's not an exchange of services. One of the, one of the um, current ways and popular ways kind of that we are um, entering into contractual relationships, and this isn't like you're not signing on the dotted line here. This is kind of an unwritten contractual relationship, um, is cohabitation. Uh, cohabitation, in a way, is an unwritten contractual relationship. And what I mean by that is we're, we're moving in together, um, we're sleeping together, we're kind of sharing finances together depending on, on where you're at. Um, you may be pay, paying the bills together, and what you're trying to figure out is really like, can you, can you make me happy, or can you provide for me, or can you do this? Um, now, there are a number of problems with this, and, and I'm, I'm going to talk to you kind of basically uh, about two of them. Is One, like when you do that without getting married, <laughs> that relationship um, in which you're kind of acting like you're married is built on mutual distrust because you're not really sure like if you want to be married to that person and and so as, as soon as that person maybe start, stops to provide financially or as soon as that person maybe stops delivering sexually the way they did or maybe as soon as like kind of, kind of like your feelings for whatever reason begin to leave for whatever reason as they stop making you happy like you have an out and one of the things that we often forget as well is typically the person who has the easiest out is the person with the most social capital or the person with the most money, right? Because often we get into that relationship and it ends up acting like a marriage relationship. One may even become dependent on the other, but as soon as they stop, the satisfaction stops happening, one is gone and the other is kind of just left on the curb. The second problem with it is it's, it's, just, it's just practice for divorce, it's what it is. It's practice for divorce. You move in with somebody, you, you stop liking them or 
You, you, you do everything that married people do, by the way, for the most part. You may not do as few things, but you start doing everything married people do, and you do this maybe with a number of people, and then you just kind of leave again when things get unhappy. So what do you think is going to happen when you get into marriage? When things get hard? You, you kind of go back to your old habits. The, the common thing that I actually hear uh, about this is, well, we're trying to figure out if we're compatible. Like, we want to see if this marriage will work. Well, if you look at the research, um, that's actually one of the worst things you can do before you get married. Uh, people who wait to move in together and get married, their marriages, on average, typically last a lot longer and a lot more solid than those who, who, who move in together first. And I believe it's because we're kind of, we're participating in a culture of divorce, um, in a mindset of divorce when you do these sorts of things. And so you're more likely to get divorced if you, if you do that. The trouble with all of this, and the trouble with a contractual relationship, um, is it's built on mutual distrust, and it's about me. It's about me. And some of you have figured this out, right? You've gotten to the point in your marriages, you know that if your marriage is about you, and primarily about you, and if you are in a me marriage, right, um, it either won't last long, or it'll be miserable, or you'll at least make the other person miserable uh, in your marriage. And so that's why marriage is this, if you're taking notes. Marriage isn't a contractual relationship built on mutual distrust. Marriage is a covenant based on mutual, say this word with me, commitment. All right, marriage is a covenant based on mutual commitment, right? We got to say that word. I think that word's kind of almost becoming like a bad word in, in, in society, but it's not. It's, it's good, all right? And this is what a we marriage looks like. It's, it's a marriage based on commitment. And so for Christians, what we encourage people to do, and what I want to encourage you to do, is actually you need to look at Jesus to understand how this works and how a marriage covenant works. What we have in the Bible is we have, um, we are told that we have a new covenant in Jesus. And so what does that mean? When we look at Jesus, what we see is that Jesus is committed to us until death. When Jesus goes to the cross... What we see is Jesus' blood being spilled out for us and covering us, and God is telling us, God is telling us that he is all in. That's kind of what this new, new, new covenant means, is that it's kind of a new way of God expressing how much he loves you and how committed he is to you because Jesus on the cross sheds his blood for you and dies for you. All of his life is yours. His life belongs to you and is given to you. And so a contract is all about I get, and then a covenant here is all about I give, and Jesus on the cross is giving his life to you. Now, where does this come in in marriage? Right? Because this is the type of relationship that we should have in marriage. This is the type of covenant that we have. So, in the perfect situation, in the perfect situation, um, the husband and the wife coming together, they're both versions and when they decide to um, come together that first time, a spilling of blood takes place. Right? That's where this blood covenant comes together between you and your spouse. Right? That's, that's what's hap- supposed to happen. And it's a sign that you are committed to them and only them for the rest of your life. Now, church, right? If you understand this, and um, if you're kind of following me here, what's happening here is that your relationship with your spouse 
is supposed to reflect God's relationship with you. Like a, a Christian marriage, what a Christian marriage does is it proclaims the gospel to everybody around them. It says, I am so committed to my spouse that I am willing to give my life to them because that is how willing God is to stay committed to me. It's that types, type of commitment. And, and, and that's the foundation that marriage sits on, is the commitment of Christ to us. And it's really easy to forget this, and we've, we've kind of gotten rid of the, the foundation of God being that committed to us, so we're going to be that committed to our spouse. And we're not the only ones, by the way, who've struggled this through the years. Um, in Proverbs, we're, te- we're told in Proverbs 2.17, she has abandoned her husband and ignores the covenant that she made before God. She ignores the covenant that we, she made before God. So one of the things that um, I want to point out here is not only are you committing to your spouse, um, but this is a commitment to God, by the way. When you get married, uh, you, you always notice, like if you've been to a wedding, uh, you have like two people at the wedding, and then who's standing like in between them? The minister, right? right? Not a trick, trick question. Uh, the pastor, is, is standing right in between them. And at a cri- Christian wedding, who's asking the questions? The pastor, right? The, the pastor is typically asking questions, and the pastor, what the pastor is doing right then and there, he's actually kind of standing in the place of God. He's, he's God's representative at that place, in that moment. And so he's asking them questions, like, will you take this person to heaven to hold? Right, from this day forward, till death do you part, for better or for worse, or for richer and for poorer. And who are they answering when they say, I do? They're, they're, they're answering to the pastor's question. Right? Now, the, the spouse can hear them, but they're actually speaking back to the pastor there. And the pastor's standing in the place of God, so therefore, that commitment and that covenant isn't just to their spouse, but it's also to God. Like, this, this is why one of the reasons, too, like, when I do a, a wedding, I, I, like, you can, I let people do their own vows, but I always ask that they do some set of, like, traditional vows like that, where, where they are committing, not just in the moment, by the way, because a lot of people, when they write their own vows, what takes place is they talk about how much they love their spouse right now. But notice, so those vows that I just told you, right, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, for sickness, for health, what are those about? Those are about the future, right? Those are about the future. And so God promises to be committed to you in the future. And so when we come together in a marriage, what we are coming together to commit to is not right then and there. Like they know you're committed. You, you bought the dress, you walked down the aisle, you, paid, you got in that stupid monkey suit, guys. Like they know you're committed to them like right then and there, Right? Well, what you're committing to is, is you're letting God know and you're letting them know that I promise to be committed to you in the future. And that, that's what marriage is about. Now, singles, I told you I wanted to talk to you for a minute. Um, there's, I, I hear this. You've heard it, right? Um, I love you, but I don't need a piece of paper to, like, tell you that. Right? So you've probably kind of, you've kind of all probably heard that. And typically, like, it's for one, of the, one other re- for one of these reasons, but typically kind of uh, is around this idea of, like, you just, like, I don't, I don't know if we really need to give up our, our freedom um, 
or it stifles freedom, or marriages don't last, or there's, a, there's, a tons, there's tons of excuses for it. But here's the thing, like, don't, don't believe that. I don't believe that. And what I want to do is I want to challenge you to tell a better story. And, and here's what I mean by that. What's a better story? I, I never really committed to anyone like, I slept around most of my life, like, went from here and there, maybe even had some children, you loved your children, maybe had a guy even stuck around for a little while, or had a lady who was with you for a little while, but you eventually kind of, you know, that's, that's your story. Uh, you get to the end of your life, and you begin to reflect on that. Or, right, I, I committed to one person for all of my life, I stuck by him, right, when he got sick, when he lost his job, when he bought the stupid boat, right, <laughs> when he became depressed. Right? I, I was there through all of the struggles. I forgave him when I didn't want to forgive him. And I was by his side when he went to meet the Lord. I'm just going to be honest with you. What's the better story? I've done a number of funerals, um, and I, I've, I've never been asked to talk about somebody's lack of commitment. But, you know, I've, I've done funerals of, of people who have, have had really tough relationships in their lives. But I've never been asked by their kids, hey, can, can you talk about the way my dad went around on my mom? Hey, I've never done that. So tell a better story. Tell it. Live to tell it. Like, the, the, the trouble is right now is that um, our, our culture, our, we're believing a lie right now. One of the lies is that you don't need a piece of paper or you don't need to be married to show that, that you love somebody. But the truth is what, the, what you're really saying or what they're really saying is I don't love you enough to give my life for you. Like, I don't really love you enough to sacrifice everything for you. Think about that for a moment. Do you really want somebody who's not willing to give up everything for you? No, like you, you desire that, by the way. Like you are hardwired to desire people to sacrifice for you. You are hardwired, especially men, to, to sacrifice for others, right? That's going to bring meaning to your life. It's going to bring purpose to your life. And just because you don't, don't do it, right, if you don't do it, I, you're just going to miss out. I'm just going to tell you. Okay? And here's some lies that I don't want you to believe. Um, I, I don't want you to believe that people are miserable in marriage. Right? People joke about it. People might say they are, and people have some pretty tough marriages. They do. But people aren't miserable in marriage. Um, if, again, and this, this is, I know individuals are different, uh, but if you do studies, people are happier in marriage. The people who are the happiest, too, are the ones who decide to stick it out. You might be told, like, well, sex is bad in marriage. That may depend. I don't know. But again, I, here's something I want you to know, that people who are married have a lot more of it. Okay? So you can weigh that out, you know? Um, people tell you that, that it stifles your freedom. Don't believe that either. Right? Don't buy that. The truth is, is that none of us are really free anyways. 
right? If you can't commit to somebody, right, you're not free. Right? There's something in your past that is keeping you from committing to somebody. There's something in your past that is keeping you from, from, from sacrificing from somebody. There's some insecurity that you have. There's, there's something inside of you that has, that, you're, you, that has bound you up, right? Like, w- when you get married, you have to decide to sacrifice for that other person and to be there for that other person. Like, it frees you to actually become the person that God wants you to be. You, you, need, to, you need to believe that, and you need to know that this morning. Now, here's a question. What if that person never comes who's wanting to sacrifice for me? Or what if I just can't find that person who, who you know, I believe that, that I should marry? That's fine, right? right. Uh, getting married won't make you happy, right? Especially if you get married to the wrong person. And proof of this is just look at Jesus. Jesus wasn't married. I think he's all right. All right? Can I get an amen? One? All right. All right. So Jesus wasn't married, so just live your life for Jesus. Right? Live your life like it should be. Like he's going to give your, your, your life meaning and purpose. You don't need somebody else to do that. Right? But if somebody comes along, you commit to them. So you can become more like Christ through your commitment to them. Now we're going to switch gears a little bit here, but as we look at commitment and covenant par- partnership here, I, I want to read Ephesians 5 out of Ephesians 5 because this is kind of what it's characterized by. Um, and follow along here. It's Ephesians 5, uh, beginning in verse 21. It says submit. Oh, ouch. Okay, so submit, that's a bad word, uh, to one another out of reverence for Christ. And it says, wives, submit. It's just got worse. Um, all right, Emily went to a party yesterday, and she was, she's going to come up here in a minute and talk. And, and they asked Emily, hey, what are you going to talk about? Um, and she's like, submission, leadership, all those sorts of things. And I think she said like half of the ladies in the room just looked at her like, you're really going to talk about that? Um, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and his body, and he himself is the Savior. Husbands, listen up here, 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So here's kind of the first way we want to characterize um, godly commitment um, within a marriage. It's your mutual submission. Did you check, check this out, by the way? Verse 21. Paul starts with mutual submission. Submit to one another. Mutual submission and godly leadership. And we'll get to godly leadership in a second. And then as Paul talks about mutual submission, um, he actually, he, he starts then with the wives um, and says, wives submit. And so since this is kind of a bad word and I'm not a wife, um, I've actually asked my wife to come up and just kind of speak into this a little bit and kind of how we do this and try to work some of this out in our own marriage. There you go. I love you because you knew how to turn on a microphone. Thank you. Okay. We're practicing. We've been practicing really yeah. hard. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, so I know people here submit and automatically like, like, hold on. You know, like, I'm an independent woman. You know, you feel all the feelings. I get it. Um, but I, I want to talk about submission from the perspective of a believer. So as a believer, we talked about on the first week, Um, God is my number one, and my spouse is my number two, and so 
I just want to read Galatians 2.20. It says, um, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. So that is all about, it's not my life anymore. It is Christ's life. It's his life. And so we, um, as believers, we're not, we're not calling the shots anyway. Um, and so I, I talked about, like, laying down your life. It's not one of those things that's like, oh, I'm just going to lay down. You know, like, that's easy. Um, it's something you have to choose to do over and over again um, in order to honor Christ, to be more like Christ. Um, and so it, that's a tough thing to do. And an easier way to do it is to, Josh and I have kind of found out some, we've set up some best practices, um, things in our marriage that it makes the choosing to lay down your life for your spouse a lot easier. Um, so just, I'll kind of give you some practical things that we do. Um, financially, we share a bank account. So um, what's his is mine. Um, and, and, and mine is his. But <laughs> mostly the other way. Yeah, yeah. mostly the other way. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, and Josh sets the budget. It, and that's really, like, wives can set the budget. I, I am just numbers, not my friend. And so, like, he will do that, which I love you because you set the budget. Um, and then we go over it together. So it's something that we sit down, we look at our money, we look at where it's going to go, and we decide together, like, this is where it's going to go. And then we both do it. Um, that's part of it. And also we talk about, we discuss large purchases, unexpected um, expenses, things like that. So financially, um, I submit to Josh by, like, be, we are on the, I'm on this team. Like, I'm going to spend the money that we have agreed on, or not spend the money that we have agreed on. Um, and so another way to do this um, is through modesty. I know that it is really tough right now. I've, I've seen the stores. I know what is on the shelves. It's, it's hard. It is hard to find clothes that, um, that are modest and are still cute. And so it's, it's tough. I, 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 I'm, I'm there. But when we, think about, when we think about giving our life to Christ, when we think about being a representative of Jesus' love to everyone we meet, are they going to be distracted by what you're wearing and not hear the message of love? Because for some of us, that's the case. You know, like, you could be spitting Jesus' love everywhere you go, but they see what you're wearing, and it is like, they don't hear anything, you know? So another way that we are going to honor God and also honor our husbands is to dress modestly. Um, this, is, this is how we... This is how we show that we are Christ, but it also shows how we belong to our spouse. Like, your body is not your own anymore in marriage. It is your spouse's. And so um, if you are flaunting it for everyone to see, like, that's not, you're not, you're not communicating that. Um, so I'll, I'll move on past that. I know everybody, you kind of hear that a lot in church. But um, there's also a time when you don't submit. And um, this is when, when maybe your spouse is not... Uh, they're wanting you to do something that is not based on scripture or it is not going to be pleasing to the Lord. And that's okay. It's okay to not submit in those cases. Um, because if your spouse is not, if that's not something from God, then you don't need to do it. Um, and if you have a question about that, like I would say really find someone, um, someone older who's married, who is following the Lord and get some counsel. Um, we, we have a lot of really 
amazing uh, couples in this church who have been married for a really long time, and it's awesome, um, and they'll give you wise counsel. So that's kind of, that's kind of all I got. But um, yeah, I just want to encourage you, and I'm, I'm really proud of everybody who's been working hard on your marriages, and um, yeah, go team. Thank you. One of the ways we, uh, yeah, go team. Same team, right? One of the ways we've been talking about this idea of submission, a lot of times it's just kind of following leadership. Uh, one of the things I love about Emily is that she encourages, leadership, she encourages my leadership. Um, and I think that's one of the things that actually we've kind of lost. I'm not going to get into this a whole lot, but in societies we kind of discourage leadership, especially in men. Um, and uh, oh, men, we are, um, we, we come with a lot of problems, don't get me wrong. Uh, and, you know, some of the problems in our own marriages is, is because of us. But, uh, you know, the Lord has called us uh, to godly leadership. Uh, here, if we look at the text, uh, it's, it says that, man, you, you are the head. Now, I've struggled with this a lot because we come from an a egalitarian tradition in which um, I do believe that sh- there should be mutual submission. I do believe that women can be in ministry. Uh, but when you study this word in context, it does imply leadership. Like, there's really just no way around it here. Like, the, the guy is expected to lead. Now, here's, here's what you need to know, men, is that, that leadership is not dictatorship. Right? Leadership is not dictatorship. And just to make, uh, make this clear, like, in the Scriptures... There are three verses that encourage women uh, in Ephesians 5 that talk to the women. There are nine (laughs) that are telling the men to behave themselves and to lead right and to lead in a godly way. And so the onus here is kind of put on the man's shoulders to lead. And these are kind of where the crux of the commands come. And, And so even as I think about my own title um, as a lead pastor, kind of illustrate this. This is what the church decided to call me when I became uh, the pastor of the church, was lead pastor. My job basically is kind of to set the direction of the church and check on its health, make sure that, that it stays healthy. Now, that, is, that, that does not mean that I make all the decisions. That does not mean that I'm a dictator. And so what I must do as a pastor, because I have, I have people on staff and I have people around me who are smarter than me, who are better at me than other things. So like, guys, if you're not good with finances, if you're not good with numbers, like you better be asking your wife to help you out. And so like as a pastor, like I'm, I want to know what Doug thinks about things. I want to know what Pastor Mindy thinks about things. I want to know what Brenda thinks about things. I want to know what Becky, I want to know what our worship team thinks about things. And I need to bring them in uh, the decisions that are being made and the big decisions that are being made. But ultimately, right, a lot of, a lot of it just falls on my shoulders. Like, if, if things go wrong, like, it's, 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 it's a lot of times up to me. Although, the way I do it, I just blame it on my staff, right, if they make the decision. Um, it doesn't work that way in a marriage. Um, so where do I follow Emily? Because I, I, do, I do follow Emily, and as I grow um, and realize, like, I got tons of problems, right? One of the problems, even kind of to speak into this, and one of the problems of me doing a marriage series and, you know, us having our wives up here is you can project, like, oh, pastors, great, you got these perfect marriages. No, we don't. Um, like, I, I, I struggle to follow. I, I'm selfish. Um, I'm bullheaded. And, and, like, I feel like I need to make almost all, you know, I feel like I can make decisions on my own. Um, and, and so, like, I've had to learn. <laughs> all right, I'm not good at this. I'm not good at this. Uh, I really need Emily's opinion over here. I'll just give you an example. A couple of weeks ago, um, many of you know 
that my daughter was in the hospital, and so I was spending a bulk of my time at the hospital with my daughter and spending the nights there because Emily would go home at night to be with our baby who was dependent on her for food. Uh, and uh, I had planned on, on coming here Sunday morning just to preach real quick and then leave and go back with my daughter who was still in ICU, and so I'm talking about this with my wife on Saturday evening, uh, who um, is much better with understanding how people feel than I am. Uh, anybody have a wife like that? Uh, and she, she asked me, she said, Josh, well, what will people think and feel if your daughter is in ICU and you're at the church? Well, well I'm just going to go there to preach. And she said, yeah, but what message are they going to hear? And, uh, well, um, well, then Pastor Doug's got to preach last minute. I know I don't want to put that on him. She's like, well, you, you might want to think about this. And so I was getting ready to leave, uh, and I was walking down to my car, and I was like, okay, I'm going to call some of the elders. I think Luana and some others. I'm going to call some people and, and try to figure out, like, what I should do. And I get, I get to the van, and I, I pull my phone out to get ready to make some phone calls. And I got a text message from the state minister that said, hey, Josh, I'm praying for you, and I don't have to preach tomorrow. Let me know if I can help you out. Um, I'm like, Emily is awesome and God is good. So I called Esther, what do you think? And she let me know what she thought uh, about it, right? So I, I'm learning to, to follow em, em, Emily, kind of like, how do people feel when I say and do certain things, right? Um, she's much better at that, and so I make sure I lean, lean on her um, for those types of decisions. Um, the last thing that I want to point out here that characterizes uh, the covenant partnership is love. Love, right? Uh, verse 25, husbands, love your wives as Christ, what? Loved the church and gave himself up for her. Covenant partnership is characterized by commitment to love. And so here's what I'm going to tell you to do. Practice loving your partner. Practice loving your spouse, right? And, and love here is not characterized by the warm fuzzies that you get when you're around somebody. You know what I mean um, when you first started dating, right? You may or may not still get those right? The truth is you loving the person in front of you is not dependent on the way that you feel at the moment. And so one of the things I want to encourage you to understand is that love is about commitment and action. It is not necessarily rooted in the feeling that you are feeling at the moment. If it is, you will, you, it'll be a train wreck, okay? It just will. Don't give feelings the ultimate authority in your life. You know, right, if you have done this in the past and you've just gone with every wind of the of feeling that you got, right, your life was not probably on a good course. So what you need to do, all right, is tell your feelings to take back seat to commitment. And you know this to be true, right? You, you don't stop feeding your baby when, it, when, when you don't feel like it. You, you don't stop going to work when you don't feel like it. If you do, you're not going to eat. Right now, right, you, you're not going to, you don't, don't not pay your taxes because you don't feel like it. I, I don't know what happened to you, jail, more taxes in the future. Rather, rather commit and follow those commitments up with actions. Now here's, here's what's going to happen. Um, those feelings will, will start to come back a little bit. You, you can actually learn how to love. Um, we want to feel good about our spouse. I'm not saying that, f sp that feelings aren't important. They are really important. But we often kind of get it backwards, that when we're going to love our spouses kind of when we feel like it. So we'll do nice things for them when we feel like it. Well, if you want to start feeling like loving your spouse again, start doing nice things for them. Right? This is maybe like walking in the opposite spirit. Like if you're mad at your spouse, go buy them something that they would like. Go get them the flowers. Right? 
that research shows that if you do those sorts of things for people that you don't like, and sometimes it's your spouse at the time, like kind feelings begin to, to come back. Love begins to come back. The same is true um, if you dislike people, right? If, if you tell yourself, like, I don't, dis- I don't like this person anymore, and so you start to be snarky towards them, you start to be rude to them, you start to get mad at them, and the more and more you allow that to happen, uh, the easier and easier it is to leave. This is just the way we are wired, right? If, if, if you don't do good things for your spouse, right, your, your love and your feelings will actually, you'll get disconnected. You'll get disconnected. Many people are, are leaving because they've lost that love and feeling, right? You've lost that love and feeling. I love what Craig Rochelle says about this, though. Leaving your spouse because you, you, you ran out of love is like selling your car because you ran out of gas, Leaving your spouse because you ran out of love is like selling your car because you ran out of gas. The truth is, is that many of us, we just need to fill the gas tank back up. Right? We need to remember what, what marriage is rooted in. And, and it's all about commitment. Marriage is dependent on commitment. And your willingness to be so committed to your spouse right, that you want to make it better. So husbands, choose to love. Wives, Choose to love. Everybody choose to love because your marriage will only be as good as you're committed to making it good. Now we're going to end here with the power of what the power, where the power comes from. So where does the power of your marriage come from? It comes from Jesus Christ. It does. It comes from Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ died for you on the cross to show how much he loves you. Here we're told in verse 25, it says, Jesus gave himself up for you. Now, Jesus doesn't give himself up for people um, because they loved him, because they were cheering for him. Jesus gave himself up for a bunch of me people, a bunch of people who cared more about themselves than about Christ, who are committed more to themselves than about Jesus. And yet Jesus still goes on the cross, though, so he can change me people's hearts. Jesus is so committed to us that he's willing to spill his blood, that he's willing to die, that he is all in. Jesus died, spent three days in the grave, and then he rose again to show us that Jesus wants to be with us forever. That's what your marriage is about. You give all of yourself to your spouse, and you are telling them that I want to be with you forever. If you are a follower of Jesus, that's what you're doing right now in your marriage, right? You are, you are living out the gospel. And so you need to remember that. This morning, maybe if you're here and you haven't received the love of Christ, you need to receive Jesus, right? It's, you can't love like Jesus without Jesus. You need Jesus. You need to know that God loves you and is that committed to you. The rest of your life, God is committed to you. Those of you who are believers here in a minute, um, we're going to take communion. Uh, communion is a physical example of what we're talking about and God's love for us. And so as you take communion this morning, I want you to reflect on God's love for you through Jesus Christ. And I want you to remember that you should be that committed to your spouse. Father, this morning, we thank you for the new covenant. We thank you for Jesus Christ. It reminds us each and every day of how much you love us, of how committed he is to us, how he is all in. 
even how he is on our team, Father. And we pray that we are as committed to him as he is to us. And as we reflect on our own marriages, I pray that the people in this room are as committed to their own spouses as Jesus is to them. I pray, Father, that you allow their hearts to swell with the love that Christ has for us, for their spouse. I pray, Father, that they're willing to sacrifice for their spouse, that they're willing to be on the same team, that they're willing to fight for them, that they're willing to give up everything, Father, for the person that they have committed their life to. Maybe there's somebody here this morning, Father, and they are they're struggling. I pray that this has been a time where you can bring healing to their life, to their heart. That they can recommit to their spouse. Maybe others are here, Father, and they don't know what it means to be loved by you. So I pray by the Spirit of Christ that you make their love known to them. That you remind them that you sent your son to die on a cross for them. And that if they believe in Jesus Christ, they will have eternal life. And might they receive Jesus' love, might they receive the Holy Spirit at this time and decide to follow you. We're thankful for you being in this place. We're thankful, Lord, that you love us, that you guide us, that you direct us, and we're thankful for the people that you have given us in our lives, Father, to follow you together with. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.